Today's episode of In the Trenches is brought to you by System 12 Guitar Method. Sign up today at RyanRoxy.com. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. I am your host, and uh, thank you very much for tuning in. If you are listening to us on one of the audio uh, broadcasts and one of the audio platforms, thank you very much for doing that. Thanks for your support, but we really want you here on our YouTube channel, our Ryan Roxy official YouTube official Ryan Roxy channel. I never know how to say that, but I know that that's the subscribe button that Vic Shelfont, our producer, just put up. So hit that subscribe button and you too can come to every single one of our In the Trenches shows because we have a live chat that's going on right now as we do this. So let's get into it. Um, it's great when you get to talk to people that you want to for a long time, but you do it right here in the trenches. Um, I was first introduced to his band when I was doing a weekly college radio show way back in 2006. You know, you know what? I don't even have to cover my mouth for that. 2006. It was on uh, 95.3 Rocket FM. Roxy on the Rocket, it was called. And uh, one of many shows I've done over the years, whether it's podcasts, TV shows, or just uh, regular interview shows like this. Um, straight ahead, no bullshit, loud, abrasive, and real. Those are all the things I felt when I listened to the music. So here to talk about all that said music and all those twists and turns since forming the band in 2004, plus the new album just released, Rock Out. Would you welcome into the trenches the vocalist, guitarist, and heart and soul of the band Wolfmother, Andrew Stockdale. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Roxy. Hi. Yeah, thanks about, for making How about that happen. for an intro? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Need a round of applause. <laughs> it's almost like we have never talked before, and that no, I love it. So yeah. coming to you from uh, Australia, everyone knows the the host of the show is up here at the North Pole. Um, you're having your morning coffee as we uh, were able to uh, witness yes. you preparing, and <laughs> you're having nice hotel room coffee, coffee and wine for me, and. Uh, you're coming to us from Australia, the newest dystopia of the world, or at least that's the way we're hearing about it in the media. Uh, tell us the real story, what's going on there right now. Uh, well, they've just opened up the border here in Queensland, and the, uh, yeah, I mean, the Omicron variant is uh, spreading quite rapidly. Uh, so, you're seeing people sneezing and coughing everywhere and it's yeah so uh yeah that's that's the latest state of affairs here and lots of cat you know you walk past cafes and it's like they're just shut or you um restaurants are shut there's no staff there's a shortage of staff and they're having uh yeah empty shelves of fruit and veggies and Damn. people are struggling to i think the the supply chain so to speak is um in disarray but in brisbane where you are it's a little bit more north i think some of the other maybe areas and territories have sort of gone into a full full lockdown or is brisbane one of those areas that is full lockdown uh i think they they they're resisting the lockdown though they are banning people the, the audience singing at the at gigs <sighs> gigs and sporting events i can imagine because that's just yeah. like an omicron cloud that comes out 
Yeah. So the band can sing, but the crowd apparently can't sing along. So, yeah. How does it feel? I mean, when was your last, um, when was your last live show? The 3rd of January, actually. So I you just call. had it. I got a call from this festival where the headline band had COVID, so they had to cancel. So we were asked to come in the day before, and we just, I called the guys and they were available, and we just did a gig up on the Gold Coast. And, uh, yeah, it like all these bands are getting COVID and canceling tours and shows canceled left, right, and center. Yeah, the, the the one thing I, you know, obviously Wolf Mother is at the stage, and and you as a solo artist, and and all the things that you do, where you can have your own vocal mic at all shows. But if you yeah. think about, it's one of those things that maybe you don't think about all the time when you're doing shows, where you know, like maybe somebody introduces you or maybe just by habit, your band member comes up and, and sort of sings with you on the same mic or whatever. Does that ever cross your mind? Like, wait a second. Now I have to always have my own Andrew Stockdale mic. Oh yeah. Like I, I have one in my bag. Um, sometimes I take my own stand too, because I like the gooseneck chrome stand. Cause gooseneck. Thought, yeah. That's a good girl. twist on us. On, on a stand. You know what? Hold on. Yeah. Like a, like one of these little die kind of jobs. You know what? I mean, a little bit similar, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally yeah. similar sort of idea. Um, I'm like carrot top. I have props, which is yeah. foreshadowing folks. It's like, great. Um, yeah, but you know, right. this is, this is my boom stand. I have a boom stand. that's holding up my script right here, but yeah, you know what? I know that, you know, most lead singers have, you know, certain, certain uh, mic stands that are actually really, really proper. I know that Lemmy yeah. had the, had the mic always going down. Yeah. From, yeah. Uh, it was a straight stand with it going down. Um, Axel had some sort of crazy weapon type of thing. Freddie, oh, yeah. Freddie Mercury just had the little, pin stripe mic stand yeah 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 yours is your your trademark on the goose uh, is the gooseneck i like yeah, it. yeah with the similar to james brown with the like the circular base has to be a circle and, fuck the tripod base fuck yeah, the tripod tripod's wrong because your foot's always standing on one of those legs it's next to the, the um it always board. Gets in the way of the pedal board. If you can look at that picture that Vic Chalfont just put up, yeah, there. Well, I don't see the yeah. goosenecks no much, but I definitely see the, uh, yeah, the, the yeah. brown based. Well, now I just bring my own microphone stand. I just put it in my suitcase or in the uh, one of the cases and just screw it on. Take my own mic. Though it seems like I'm trying to remember. Is it a 58 or something? Like I SM58. Yeah, you have your own. Okay. I had my you own one for, for gigs, but because you think, oh, you know, I don't want to be have everyone breathing onto this before I go on. But, you know, it's yeah, like so in the heat of the night when everything's happening, you just like stop it. Sometimes you, know? you just go out to the crowd and have someone singing this and all of a sudden it's this is no good anymore. Right. Yeah. This is a, yeah, this is a perfect like conversation that we're having. Cause one of our sponsors is Biodynamic, 
and they make our, you know, they, they provide us with headphones and this microphone as well. But this is my, wow. this is my vocal mic that I use for um, all the, like the live stuff that I do for the V70, but it's, it's similar yeah. to the uh, SM58, but I, I, this is, yeah. this is what I have all the time, you know, with me yeah. as well. It's a workhorse. But you forget it though. Yeah. You know what? How many times have you like forgotten the mic? Ah, on the, yeah, yeah. I guess you're saying your own stand. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it sort of helps with the visual aspect of the the whole thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my, sometimes the sound guys criticize your mic and they go, "There's something faulty with that mic." And then yeah, I get home and tested it, and there there is, but. Yeah, it's always, yeah, taking your own stuff is Bring, well, bringing your own mic I think is going to be probably a constant from now on as far yeah. as as we move forward with this thing because I used to think about it, you know, kind of rarely of how much, you know, disease you could actually have, especially when you played on those gigs with like eight bands and you're like yeah. maybe, you know, you're you're a headliner but that the problem is that means that seven bands has been before you yeah, using the same the fucking mic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we talking, yeah. we're, we're talking about visually and obviously there's other things besides just the gooseneck mic stand that, uh, that sets mm. you apart visually. It's, it's, you've had, your image has always uh, been very striking. It, it, it's been you've been um, touted as having an amazing stage presence. Um, And of course, you know, for me, it's the guitars that I associate you with. And I know that I usually don't dive into equipment this early, but being that we're both players, I remember Wolf Mother, uh, when when you guys first came out, I just distinctly, for some reason, I would remember, I, I thought of two things. I thought of you, the hair and the 335. And then I realized that it wasn't just a 335. You also are an SG guy as well. Yeah. Which would you are you more 335 or, or, or SG? Uh, we recorded the first record on the 335. Uh, Dave Sardi, the producer, insisted that we use his 335. <laughs> <laughs> but um stayed in tune dude it was, it was, yeah. it, those talk about a workhorse with the sm58 and, the, and, a, and a 335 yeah. You know? yeah yeah so on the records of 335 uh though yeah the sg was um my first guitar it was funny thing though was um i didn't actually own a guitar when i first got signed i was borrowing chris's guitar he had a sakai sg copy which is a chinese <laughs> brand so yeah it was, well, was a sakai or a, or a tokai sakai s-a-k-i all right all right so um yeah i didn't have, we got signed to modular records we you know recorded woman white unicorn apple tree uh and uh I didn't own a guitar and it's funny like did you you didn't ask for a sakai to begin with did you or did you did you say just get me a gibson well i spent my advance on a on a gibson like i got a a, a brown walnut brown 70s sg yeah. 
and a, a Moody amplifier, which is an Australian sort of imitation of a, a Fender Twin. bass master. Or oh, something. Ba- a bass master. Okay, cool. Yeah. And on my head. first trip to LA, my guitar, the first guitar that I bought got smashed into five pieces by um, Qantas Airlines. Because back then, you know, they weren't, they didn't treat instruments very well, like, you know. No, in I mean, fact, I think they went out of their way to like to teach us a lesson. I'll show yeah. these guys a lesson, you know, because yeah. yeah, there's plenty of smashed guitars going. And it was before the days where you could actually talk your way onto it as a carry on, right? It had it had to arrive. Yeah, yeah. I've when you're in yeah when you're starting out and you're in the back seat of economy, there's no way you're gonna carry on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not even with a not even with a gig bag, and you know. Yeah. It's funny. I, you know what? We're talking about this stuff. We might as well, Vic, go. Let's go back to get forward because that's usually how we start the podcast anyway. What do you say? We have to have a few sound effects as well in the show. Yeah, that's but awesome. Yeah. Not stuff up, won't we, Vic? <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. not. We are or not. And, and that's the whole thing because a wolf mother originally from you said uh, you formed the band in sydney uh, yeah, around yeah. 2004 um mm. my my question is um the lineup the wolf mother wolf mother lineup over the years has vacillated between being a three-piece and a four-piece over the years um do you prefer having that rhythm guitar or is a trio where you know that sweet spot is uh, yeah, I, yeah, when you have, I mean, you can really run and do whatever you like when you're the only guitarist, unless you've got someone who can improvise and follow. Uh, so yeah, um, I, I like being the only guitarist and I think in the mix, when you just hear one guitar, you can kind of hear the playing it uh, a little bit clearer so it's sort of it's it's i'm a fan of hearing someone play whereas if you have two or three you you get that impressive wall of sound but uh you lose the detail or you know the expression a little bit so i guess it just depends how what your approach is i guess you know wall well, because i know i know you had some rhythm guitar players over the year they've company because you've always like i introduced you as the heart and soul of with mother with mother is kind of always been your baby in a way. And and then yeah. you, you bring by all these complimentary parts. I mean, I know that you started the band, uh, you know, you, Chris Ross, obviously the, the owner of the uh, Sakai <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, drummer Miles Heskett. And, uh, but now currently you've been with, are you still uh, having Hamish Rosser as your drummer? Yeah. Yeah. Hamish has been, on board for about 10 years or so. Um, yeah. Huge I mean, fan of the Vines, by the way, as well. I mean, really, really liked all their work. I mean, and it, and it was Hamish and Brad that played uh, bass and drums for the Vines many years as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they played on, like, not not the first one, but later records. Uh, I'm not sure which ones, but, yeah, they... Really and currently, is it is it Bobby Poulton that's playing bass? I'm sorry, is it Bobby that's uh, or who who do you have? Yeah, at, who's in lineup currently? Yeah, 
what happened the reason why things have changed a little bit just recently is because you can't play in a venue if you don't have a vaccine do, do you have that same thing over in stockholm or uh no in stockholm there was never a lockdown in stockholm ah. it's never it's, it's it's always been up to society and at the end of the day some people are going to say that uh, in, you know oh well stockholm or Sweden did it the correct way or the in in or mitigated the most amount of economical damage but we won't know until the end of this you know endemic if you will but no in Sweden it's it's has never been a proper proper lockdown there were some shows where you'd have to sit you know no indoor shows and you'd have to have spread apart but no we haven't had that vaccine sort of thing and now I'm going to cough like I I do have the vid, but hold on. <coughs> there you go. And uh, <laughs> I didn't cough into the mic, though. How about that? <laughs> so, so you've had this uh, these vaccine mandates that where you can't play gigs, so you've had to shuffle band members. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One 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 of the members is was like into all the conspiracy theories and thinks that big pharma is trying to. Dude, blah, blah, there's blah, plenty, blah, there's plenty of, it's all <laughs> over the place, man. I get yeah. you. There's only so much I can do for people, you know, like I just like learn a bunch of songs, the rest, you know, I'm just a guy who has to try to get some gigs and do my thing. So I can't, I can't change the state of the world. So unfortunately, um, yeah, we just have to get people who are unfortunately or fortunately, it all works out in the end, but yeah. Uh, so I've just had to switch things up a little bit. Well, that leads me to a question where I've heard you talk about when you're preparing songs for an album, you tend to play all the instruments at first on your own, and then you get other players that can complement what you've done. Is that usually all the process for your records? And is it the process for this newest album, Rock Out? Well, yeah, like say for Joker and the Thief, like, you know, I, which is our biggest song, um, uh, you know, I, I just go into my space and put down the riff and then, you know, get on the kit. And the first thing I had was that do, 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 you know, um, the intro. Right. And then I just kind of leave, you know, record that. Um, and just pitch it to the band, just go, Hey, uh, how do you feel about doing this fill? Or what do you think about this or that, you know? And then they're like, yeah. And then you just sort of try attempt to put your influence towards people. But as you know, in the studio, it's like, it's not always easy to communicate your ideas to everyone and have them want to do that. But but sometimes that's the beauty of it because <laughs> if you're trying to explain to something something they might they might play a completely different part which actually helps out the song or maybe you know puts it into a different direction that you weren't thinking oh, about yeah. originally exactly this ch celloist was like she was like such a confident like headstrong lady i just i sort of just let her do that do whatever she wanted because I was scared of her. <laughs> In all honesty, and it's just like sometimes I will like sabotage a song and the record, and just because you're just scared of some people in the studio. 
And you're Rick. like, I'll put out what it, like you do, you know. So wait a second. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not the intimidating person in the studio. You're, you are the intimidated or can it work both ways? Well, I think some people who have this intimidation of enthusiasm, they're like, oh, this is so great. I'm having such a great time and I'm just going to do it. And you're like, uh, you don't want to burst anyone's butt, you know, like, but, I think that's, but a, this, that's this, uh, going back to that picture of the cello player, because I, I had an experience with a cello player like that as well as on one yeah. of my uh, records. Um, they came in, she knew, again, very headstrong, knew exactly what she was going to play, and she yeah. played it, and she laid it down, and then she kind of left the studio abruptly. That's what <laughs> I had all these parts made out for her. I was like, she's going to do exactly this. And then she just jammed all this stuff, and I was like, I just didn't have the heart to tell her, like, that I, I was like, whatever. Now every time I hear that song, I'm like, God, I hate that <laughs> 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 well, let's move. See this, but yeah, maybe she will. Let's you never know. Song. And you know what? She'll she'll lesson learned for her because you know what? Maybe you got to listen to other people's ideas, especially yeah, when they're the, when they're the, when they're the ones that are whose songs they are. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you in the studio, like you're saying, yeah, communicating your part. Sometimes someone can, you know, there's. Because you always think, I'll leave a little bit open for the magic to happen. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this person's going to, yeah, you just, so you let that happen and you sort of give up on yourself. Like you sort of go, just let the cello lady do whatever she wants. <laughs> and then you're like, you know, a year later when you have to listen to that, you go, nah. No, I wish I would have. I wish you would have tried my parts as well. So yeah, well, like when you're in the studio, like I mean, which you obviously are all the time because you got your home studio or something. But uh, I don't know what. But it's like you got to trust. You really have to, as you get older. Do you find you just got to trust your your in, instincts and just kind of stick to your guns a little bit, like on your no. vision and what's going to work and. I agree. I, luckily for me, that my experience with my cello girl, every time I listen to the song, I go, she wrote, her parts were much better than what my ideas I had coming up. Yeah. But, but then we were able to collaborate a little bit because I hummed a few parts and then she was able to, you know, she's like an actual trained schooled musician. So she could just, I hummed it and then she like wrote, charted out the notes and then played it. And it was like, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. So yeah. Yeah, I'm going to move on from music and talk a little bit about the artwork because uh, yeah. I want you to tell us about the choice of using legendary artist Frank Frazetti's paintings on the covers of several of your albums, including your debut. Um, yeah. How did that all come about and was it inspired by Molly Hatchett? <laughs> I don't know, nah. since they frequently use uh, Frazetti's work as well. Um, mm. Did you meet Frazetti in person? Um, and these are all questions that actually our producer Vic Chalfont came up with because he's a very big fan of the uh, Frank Fazetti as well. So tell us about your experience using okay, this. Can I be honest with you here? Please. The producers suggested Frank Frazetta and uh, my manager came in and he goes, Oh, I've got fantastic news. Frank Frazetta has been approved and we can use the artwork and you know, it's such great. And I was like, eh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, 
I didn't really like it. You had the cello lady experience with Frank Frisada. <laughs> oh my God. It's just like, it's too obvious, you know, like it's just having fantasy stuff with a, you know, psych, you know, prog rock band. And um, so I didn't particularly like it, but I've always gone along with it because people are going, oh, I love the way artwork. Like, just because your band is successful doesn't mean that you like everything that, <laughs> that you do. Everything you're just associated with. Yeah. You know what? What if I got to ask the guys in Kiss if they hate their logo? You know, I can really imagine maybe, you know, him going, yeah, I never liked the logo. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, and people, this is a very, like, this is a very sensitive industry. Like, Honestly, like me just saying, I don't like the art. Like, I mean, someone. Yeah, you just like, saying you didn't like Frank Frazetta. Um, I really hope you don't get canceled worldwide <laughs> for that. You know, it's highly <laughs> sensitive. You know, and 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 in the studio, it's very sensitive too. Like, if you just say I don't particularly, you know, you have to phrase how you word things. You know, and yeah, you know, you're. This is where the home studio and like artists just doing everything themselves is just to avoid confrontation. Well, and you've yeah. done a pretty good job of doing DIY these last few records. And I want to talk about that and what you're doing with um, not just rock out, but also with um, the album that came out right before yeah. our rock out as well and um, i have the title here rock and roll baby as well so we're gonna uh, take a real quick uh, commercial break and then uh, we will come right back with andrew stockdale of with mother great hello roxy guitar army for those of you that have been faithfully following the podcast you may have noticed that recently i've been changing up my eyewear from week to week and today we are happy to announce that click eyewear is now an official sponsor of the in the trenches podcast You've even given us a special discount code that we can now pass on to our supporters. Click has provided me with both readers and blue blocker protection eyewear that are durable, stylish, and convenient. What sets them apart from the rest of the reader world? The catch is in the click. They are the world's first magnetic reader, which makes them hard to lose and even harder to break. If you're interested in getting a pair or two of your own, check out the discount link located in the description. Never lose your readers again. Because with Click Eyewear, they're always around you. Now let's get back into the trenches and back to some more rock and roll. Thanks, man. It's going good. Are you, are you feeling good? Feeling good. Yeah, yeah, it's fun to kind of tell you what I actually think about this stuff. I'm glad that you are, man. Because it's been 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, I was like going, what is the correlation? Because I'm, as a kid, I didn't know who Frank Fazzato was. And I'm like thinking I'm used to like, I just knew it was a Molly Hatchet album cover. And, and yeah. now all of a sudden it was news to me that you had used all these out, you know, the same artists. So I thought maybe that you had some sort of, you know, Oh yeah, I've, I've actually had a bonding, you know, a, a, a ritual with yeah. Frank. You know, I, you know, like when you start out in this business, you, your survival technique is like go along to get along, you know, like, you know, you, you, you're being interviewed by Rolling Stone, like you're on MTV, you're, you're playing bigger venues and, and it's a plus like 
I, you know, the, vet, the the era that you've come from and that I was at the tail end was the era of the gatekeepers. You know what I mean? It's like, True. you can, you know, you have to impress. You, did what, the, you did what the record label told you to do. Yeah. You, the manager, the booking agent, the whole thing. Like, I mean, people think that like these rock stars have like this air of authority and it's just like, you probably aren't that less say than the lighting guy <laughs> in some cases especially if you if you run yourself across a very egotistical lighting guy which there are many <laughs> yeah and people don't know this so they see you up on the stage but you're just part of a big team and it, it's it's moving a million miles an hour yeah you know, i think that that year we did like two to three hundred shows that year um so Man, I look at the artwork and go, yep, whatever, cool. Then I look at the video, <laughs> yep, sweet, put it out. You know, like just because, you know, or T-shirt designs, just, yeah, churn it out. And I can almost see other bands and I can see, I can tell who they've done a deal with. I'm like, that's that merch company and they've given up and they're just mass producing this. Because I've been there myself, you know, I've seen like, you know, 20 variations of the same thing just churned out. And you look out at the T-shirts and you go, I don't, yeah, I don't really love those T-shirts. But now. It's different. Man, I look, I, I make a T-shirt and I'm like, this is cool. This. You, you know, want to wear it. You I just, stand this is what by I this. Yeah. yeah. Or if a mix, I stand by the mix or at rehearsals, we, you know. Yeah, hey man, that bit's wrong. Or like, <laughs> oh yeah. but um, yeah, it's it is you know, it is loose. It's a loose. It's it happens fast. It's well, uh, this this new mother, this new Wolf Mother album, Rock Out, um, your sixth studio album. This time, no label, no distributor, uh, no management. All yeah. recorded in your home studio, digital only release. Um, and it's a follow-up to 2019 Rock and Roll Baby, which had a bit of the same approach. Um, yeah. My question is, uh, how much of a choice to make uh, Rock Out a digital-only release reflects your values and lifestyle? Because I know you, the, that, we, that you're an environmentalist, um, you own an electric car. Yeah, uh, yeah. You have solar panels on your home. Maybe yeah. not. Uh, you didn't use solar power to make that cup of coffee behind here because you're at a hotel <laughs> right now. But uh, we'll forgive you for that. But you, you know, all of this is about minimizing the footprint. I mean, did that have anything to do going into making this uh, this last record? Uh, well, I do feel like I've got to uh, be a, what's the word accountable. You know, I got to. Yeah, accountable. Yeah, you gotta tell people what you think, and you gotta, yeah, I I can put on the rock and roll front and act like I don't give a stuff about anything, and it's all about self serving my um, back pocket and X, you know, getting an advance and disappearing and putting artwork that I don't like and doing things that I don't want to do and (laughs) (laughs) just to support the family and to do my job. You know, because I've got, you know, most people say, you know, having this is meant to be the, the best job. This is the dream job. You know, we get to do what we love and stand on a stage. But but I guess now uh, 
I'm, you know, I'm 45. I've, uh, I'm in a good position. I'm paying off my house. I've done all those things. And I, I don't know if I really need to be that greedy that I can keep exploiting. Yeah. If I, if I can have a certain level of income, I can survive, you know? And so what am I about, you know? And I feel bad, you know, just putting myself on a, some kind of moral pedestal, but because what if, you know, I might change my mind and say, I'm going to put out vinyl, screw it. You know, but you, <laughs> yeah, that, that might happen you know, because, you, the, because you finally found some artwork that you completely approve of. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe and you, you and Frank. Numbers, and you go, you know, I have had, I got multiple record deals put in front of my face, like, you know, decent advances. And then I look at the time frame and it's like, okay, so it's going to be, 10 years, a three album deal. You know, I'm going to put this out in eight months and then there'll be an option in 12 months and then another. And I just think it's good to get that money. But I, I, um, I also just, now that I, I have a certain, uh, lifestyle, I guess I can, I could put out something tonight if I wanted to, I could walk into a studio and just pay someone the fee and upload it tonight and get the artist who did that artwork to, to, uh, there's something going on outside, but, um, it's somebody yeah, not wearing a mask in Australia. That is the dystopian <laughs> thing we're talking about. The military has been sent out, but yeah, I mean, aren't you talking really what you have now is true artistic freedom to make the music yeah. that you want to make, to make it when you want to make it, to release it when you want to release it. You really do have, um, and you've worked hard for it. It's not that you haven't, um, and you're lucky because, like you said, you came in on the tail end of uh, of a lot of authoritarian, authoritative type of regime where there was a lot of big business where it's not, yeah, as controlled by big business as it used to be. But damn, you got to play a lot of cool gigs during that time as well. You got the yeah. tail end of, I mean. You know, a lot of bands get the, the Led Zeppelin comparison, but few bands get the Led Zeppelin endorsement, which was obvious yeah. when you actually, you know, got invited to be their guest at the 2006 UK Music Hall of Fame Awards. Um, yeah. Do you remember some of those gigs and what would it's, what it's like to, you know, sing a song like, you know, uh, to honor a band? like Led Zeppelin that obviously had some sort of influence upon uh, Wolf Mother and the music that you make today. I tell you what, that audience, I, yeah, uh, we, we went on after James Brown, would you believe it? Um, <laughs> and I, I actually like bowed to James Brown as he, like, and he bowed back to me. Oh, well, he got the bow. Just, yeah, right. I, took, I took a bow as soon as I saw him. And um, I think he passed away like, a month later and he like inducted himself into the rock and roll hall of fame. He didn't have someone else do it. He did it himself <laughs> like, as his uh, attitude in life. He was a very kind of do it yourself. But, but did he have his assistant holding his cape at least? He had to. <laughs> he had to. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. I didn't, I didn't see that, but, um, but yeah, the audience was like George Martin producer of the Beatles John Bon Jovi, Tony Iommi, Jimmy Page, Beyonce, uh, 
David Gilmore, it was like, it was like, okay, just like looking at the record shop when you're a kid and like all the heroes as right. like, okay, play us a song. And you're like, no way. <laughs> Not it. Now talk about intimidating. That's probably more intimidating than the uh, cello player in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's funny, isn't it? Like, um, you know, like I have three kids and, and I sort of, you know, when you have kids, you, you encourage their interests. So, you know, my daughter is into musical theater. So we went to this last time we were in New York, we went to this cafe where they sing musical theater in the cafe. Nice. And she just like went completely quiet and almost wanted to leave. And there is something when you are given everything that you love, like, you know, and you're, you're, it's put right in front of you. There is this instinct to just like, get the hell out of there. (laughs) (laughs) So there was, was no hang after that night all night well I, I, at least i'm glad that it ended better than you know uh you know you you looking at one of the frank Frazada album covers i'm glad you you know you got to play for them and you know it was a good vibe and you even um, actually it, go ahead yeah, yeah totally yeah it was it was positive it was all good but but you definitely have that feeling of like yeah you, you, it's like your dreams have come true but it's almost like it, it yeah, it's a funny um, mindset of like facing your uh, your your idols or your you know, and then yeah. What, what, what like you're you staring at all the posters on your wall, but now they're actually breathing right in front of you or something. So yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. I, I I don't know. I've always had something where I'm like, I just go, thanks for having us. Yes, we'll do it. We'll take it. Like some form of stupidity where I put myself in those situations and I just take it. But if I had intellectualized it, I could see people would just be a deer in the headlights and just. Right. I mean, have you ever truly been just like starstruck or just like not kind of fumbled what to say uh, when you met one of these, one of these guys? I mean, I, I held my cool probably the most I've held my cool where I wanted to totally fanboy out was uh, playing with Brian May, who's yeah. like, you know, guitar hero of mine. But I, I was actually proud of myself that I was cool with it. But uh, have you ever had just one of those moments where you just kind of laid out one of those? Blah. Where you're just standing next to someone. And I, I, I think I tend to go quiet and I'm just smiling. It's just, I'm just content to be like around someone that, that I respect and admire. Yeah, Gene Simmons, you know, it's like. Um, Just boots, I love it. He's an entertaining guy. He's always yeah. got something interesting to say. <laughs> he was asking me, like, what was the name of the first Kiss band? And, like, I had just listened to his autobiography and I just had a total mental blank. But um, that was it. Oh, oh, Alistair Crowley or something like that? Was that? Uh, something different. I, I've forgotten it now. <laughs> it yeah, like, I, don't ask yeah. me about that kind of stuff. I, I think he was testing me to see if I was a true fan or not. But, um, yeah. I thought it was something like Mr. Alistair. Or, I don't know. You know what? Yeah. One of the things that I do 
with some of the guests and I feel comfortable enough to ask you about it is I, there's sometimes you pee next to famous people or pee next to some of your idols because we've met our idols, but have you ever, you know, gone to a, to a bathroom? Cause I, I've, I, I figure my biggest claim to fame of peeing next to someone is Charlie Watts. Yeah. So, you know, what's always happened to me is like, um, it's usually somewhat like the head of a record label or something who <laughs> like, hasn't responded to an email or something. And then I'm like, ah, oh, you're here. Nice seeing you here. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually shake. All oh, right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Good to see you, man. Yeah. But, but, um, yeah. So it's usually some kind of embarrassing power figure that, just well it's a great you know it's a it's a great equalizer isn't it it's just like absolutely well I, i'm i'm glad to hear that the, some of the yeah the influence that, that led zeppelin has had on us all uh wasn't uh, sort of uh left away after that uh, music hall of fame in 2006 because your 2021 single midnight train even has a nice sort of mama thrown in for good measure i don't know if that was on purpose <laughs> Or if that was just one of those spur of the moment things that happened. Um, but, you know, what's my question is, what's the difference, do you think, of paying respect, uh, which I think you and, and the band do a great job of, uh, mm. and sort of paying homage to compared with downright ripping off a band? Well, it seems like there's none at the moment. I mean, look at Greta Van Fleet. I mean, that's straight from the Led Zeppelin textbook, let's face it. And... That, that's what kind of made me think I'm going to do this midnight train thing. I'm like, what if I just completely just copy it? <laughs> and- I think Greta Van Fleet, and, and, and this could be me being uh, looking at the cup half full or the wine glass half full. I think it was one of those producer tricks where the producer got the band in and he heard the guy's voice he heard the band's vibe where the yeah. where the direction might be going and he said by the way have you checked these albums out and then yeah. it just, it, so i i kind of think it might have been an older person's sort of influence to a younger band which is definitely passing the torch on or it could be just these kids going you know what you know what kids my age don't know who led zeppelin in, or jimmy page is so yeah. we're going to let them know well, it's kind of it's a fun way to write though like i mean if you just like i mean if you hit a wall and you've plateaued with everything that you love in music and you pick up the guitar and you got nothing you know just go what what do you love you know what what song do you love you know what what, what would it be like what, what do you put on and you just go i freaking love that song for me i've been trying to rewrite cheap tricks render for about yeah. i don't know 40 years Probably, <laughs> I just because to me it's 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 one of the most well constructed rock songs of that I can think of. I love the chord changes. There's even a modulation in it, which they yeah. actually make cool in a way. Yeah. So that's my song that I've been trying to sort of uh, use as the benchmark. Uh, yeah. What's what's yours? I'm just curious, like a song that uh, makes you. Well, on that midnight train song, that was like it took me back to like when I was 14 or 15, maybe 13. And it's like, you know, that chord, it's like in Foxy Lady, like 
Yeah. Is it E E or F sharp? I think it's F sharp because Foxy Lady's F sharp and isn't. Uh... It's like you hold the. It's like three fingers. It's like a funk thing. Similar to that, yeah. Something like that. I think it's. F but you know that. Um. It's like that. No, hang on. Like that. It's like three up on the uh, fifth fret. That's it. There's a sharp, it's a, like a, a something nine add five or something like that. I yeah, that's like when I learned the guitar, that was the first chord my brother taught me. He goes, that is rock and roll. So that chord <laughs> is rock and roll. <laughs> I get it. You know like, what? That, because you're bringing me back to those types of songs when I first heard, okay, that was rock and roll. Mine yeah. would be the, those, that two note riff in Helter Skelter by the Beatles. On the yeah. white, off the white album, when you know, I'm not talking folks Motley Crue or anything. I'm talking yeah. the Beatles version. When those two notes to me were rock and roll, and yeah. Hendrix was for you. That's cool, man. Because that's electric guitar, like leaving the chord open and hearing that drone. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that for me, it was that chord, and I've never, to this day, I've never written a song with that chord. So because I always. Well, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, you can't use that chord. It's daggy, man. It's too obvious. You cannot use that chord. Don't yet. But I'm like, <laughs> just try the chord. Just write, you know, ding, 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 you know. So, um, so that's how I got Midnight Train. And, you know, you listen to a, what? Could be a, your new Frank Frazetta, dude. Could be your new Frank Frazetta. Use the <laughs> fucking ad. Dominant nine ad five or whatever it is. I love it. Well, yeah. So I think you've got to go into that territory that you feel that you love it, but you feel uncomfortable about it, but you just got to go ahead first. Cause that's where the, that's where the victory is. You know, that's where, you know, that, that song midnight train has doubled everything on rock out and I've done nothing to promote it. <laughs> I'm wondering if you went a little bit in that direction when you recently posted, uh, on your Instagram, a cover of Glenn Fry's The Heat Is On. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the 80s, yeah. Because I, I think I am more influenced by the 80s. When I listen to the 80s stuff, I'm like, man, I think I'm Led Zeppelin and all this, but really, like, all my song arrangements are, like, 80s song, <laughs> 80s. Yeah, and, and to me, there's nothing bad about that. And I know like, our producer still loves putting that up every single time. Yeah. Um, but of course, the new album "Rock Out," folks, is uh, the new Wolf Mother album because we're here with Andrew Stockdale and just talking music and stuff. And like I said, I, I have these questions, but I love the way that we're just things are coming organically, especially with yeah. music. And yeah. um, I know that you have you have three kids now, yeah. and uh, you're in a long-term relationship. How do you find the best way to balance home life and tour life besides it always just being in pandemic? Because things yeah. are going to change eventually. Uh, well, I think the last tour we did of the States, um, uh, I mean, the band was in a bus and I was in an SUV driving the family around. Oh, wow. You did that, that <laughs> route. You did the Izzy Stradlin route. I love it. You went, yeah. oh, you went separate with your own thing. Yeah, they're in the bus and I'm driving. Yeah, we leave at 5 a.m. and 
get some coffees and I drive to San Francisco to from LA and or I get a Airbnb, put the family in a house and I go off and come back yeah. on days off. Or same in Europe as well. Like, you know, they stay in Amsterdam or they stay somewhere, you know, look at oh, the man. schedule. They stay there and I kind of come back. Um, so I'm, I'm off the, you know, so I'm like a weekend warrior that's doing it in America and Europe, but kind of driving back. It's, it's like, it's, you gotta, you gotta get a bunch of GoPros and just put it all around the SUV and just make an old reality show about that. That's perfect. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, um, so, um, another question that I have, because we do have a, a bit of a, usually we have questions from, uh, Everybody that's been in the chat, that's been following along with the show so far, thank you very much for doing that. And if this is your first time checking out the podcast, hit that subscribe button over here that we have going on. But we have a special, special uh, Let the People Speak episode this day because uh, a fellow Australian uh, friend of mine, Leon Harrison, lead singer of the band The Lazies. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but uh, they're familiar with you. Yes, and uh, yeah, yeah. basically, uh, he had a few questions for you. And um, maybe some of them are trick questions. I don't know. But he gave me questions to give to you. So this is our version of Let the People Speak. Yeah. And again, we will pick it up. That's perfect. So uh, his first question is... Uh, uh, favorite Aussie bands, past and present. Um, I, I had to say that mine um, are the Vinyls. I think what the Divinals' first record, uh, Desperate, I believe it is, is mm-hmm. one of my favorite albums of all time. And yeah. a lot of people don't know that album. They only know the single, I Touch Myself, but that first Divinals album. Another yeah. band called Angel City. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and the Vines. Those were my three. So do you have a top three Aussie bands that you would like to promote? Top three Aussie bands. Um, <clears throat> uh, have you heard of... Um, I sort of like the more obtuse, vulgar Aussie bands. <laughs> okay. Um, like Angry Anderson? Uh uh, sometimes when I'm on tour, I listen to a nice day to go to the pub by uh, the Cosmic Psychos. Um, just because, you know, when you're driving around the Swiss Alps, it's funny to hear the Aussie With three kids. <laughs> so, so straightforward. But, um, I, but so I put that one on there. Don't know if it would be one or three or where it would sit, but uh, it's it's it would be in there. Um, mm, Australian songs, Australians. Uh, hmm. I'm having a mental blank. Maybe some uh, far out. I don't know. I can't think. It's seven thirty in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about? I mean, like, like maybe one of the not so much a newer band, but like a more of an indie band, like Tame Impala. You familiar with them? Tame. Uh, <clears throat> Are you guys at war with uh, each other? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I I only say that because I know that he does a lot of the same types of vibe that the same sort of attitude about recording 
doing a lot of the recording himself and yeah. then having other people sort of compliment that. And, you know, yeah, that's basically, yeah. yes. All yes. right. So th- we can leave it at that. And, and maybe you can turn him on to Frank Fazada for some of his artwork <laughs> in the future. I don't know. Um, the second question from uh, Leon Harrison from the Lazies, lead singer. Um, are you a Vegemite kid? I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, I do like Vegemite, but I've, it's a, uh, it's got a lot of yeast in it, and I'm not sure if yeast is that good for you. Are, does are you a vegan? No, no. You know uh, what? You know why I know you're not a vegan because you would have already told me you were. <laughs> you were. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, the um, cold showers. That's what I try to do. That's that's what I find helpful. Okay, cold so showers. better than better than Vegemite cold showers. Cold showers. Okay. 20 push-ups a day, <laughs> 50 sit-ups. That's pretty much it. And, you know, avoid, yeah, too much yeast, too much gluten. I, I do think that that stuff slows you down and just, yeah, lots of you. green vegetable, you know, spinach, I find. Let me ask you this, and this is the last question from Leon. Yeah. Who would you rather go to dinner with? Alf Stewart or Russell Coit? Alf Stewart. I... Please tell me you don't know who either of those guys are, and then I can I get to this. No, no. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> this is amazing because I can just take this whole segment and we can cut it, and then I can just send it to him and say, you know what? Your questions are shite, Leon. Shite. <laughs> yeah. I like my questions, you know. Um, mm. quite opinions, much like... Uh, like assholes, everybody's got one. You've heard that before. But opinions by assholes can get annoying. So yeah. how do you deal with criticism such as the gauntlet that was wielded wielded at the 2020 single High on My Own Supply? <laughs> well, I, I haven't read it yet. I haven't read any of the feedback. Because, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, what... With that song, I just did the vocals and I sent it to this um, producer on Fiverr, paid them 200 bucks. It was a dude in Morocco and he did everything. That's more than five, but yeah, all right. So you got, <laughs> got 20 times the deal. So, so, and I, I do, it's funny, like I like that blogger, the guy, the needle drops guy, and I thought, shit, the only way I got on there was by being the worst song of 2020, 2021. So I got there in one way. But, you know... Well, Good luck to them, I say. Like, you know, if you can't have a bit of fun after being in this industry for 18 years, um, you know, what are you going to do, you know? Yeah, and and that definitely does sound like you were enjoying yourself making a a style of music that might not be uh, so closely associated with with Wolf Mother or Andrew Stockdale, more of an, almost an EMD sort of approach. The title itself, High on My Own Supply, uh, was that from the movie Scarface or was that the advice and the takeaway that you got from Scarface or where did you get that? Where have you ever uh, gotten that advice before? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just, um, yeah, that, that is a Scarface, you know, don't get high on your own supply, but, um, I love that advice. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, life. totally. Exactly. See, it just morphs into your, I, I think that's the thing through imitation. You know, it's like the Chinese culture. Imitation is 
seen it, you know, you copy a great master and you sort of develop your own style whilst you do that. Whereas in the West, it's like any form of imitation, you know, originality is overrated, you know, and um, it, we're, we're deemed to think that originality will uh, give us some form of genius or whatever. But I mean, even, yeah, like Elon Musk bought Tesla from another Tesla already existed. He didn't invent Tesla, the company. He bought an electric company, electric car company. Yeah, everyone thinks that he was like, that was his from the ground up, but no. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things like uh, the amount of, ba- you know, how many Led Zeppelin songs, have, you know, didn't... Uh, Came from old blues songs. Yeah, they're all, like, I mean, they've ripped everything. Like, uh, even Paul McCartney is like, we ripped off everything. You know, <laughs> the Beatles, like, I'm trying to think of the Zeppelin one, but they had a support guy, dazed and confused. They completely copied the chord progression of a, one of the guys who acoustic folk artist who there's another song called days and confuse but i mean you're just appropriate you're giving you're breathing life into something you're 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 um yeah yeah i think it's i think it's a positive thing and i think uh people you know with things like spotify now you can put out a song once a week if you want and it i'm listening to like release radar and I feel like bands are like getting better. I feel like people are taking more risks. Like, and the beauty of it is like, I mean, you can look at release radar and you see Green Day and Offspring have all put out new songs and you wouldn't know it. You know, whereas back in the day, it's like, that'd be on the, you know. There'd be a bunch of prep before it. There'd be a bunch of hype about it before. Something. Yeah, there'd be like a poster in a record shop. There'd be an MTV special. You'd hear it 12 times a day on commercial rate. But now it's just like, uh, yeah, they just put out something and the next band put out something. And, and I'm listening to all these bands and I just think, wow, like people are like being more productive and more prolific and shaking it up a bit. And maybe some of the production's a little bit loose and maybe they recorded it themselves. Maybe they didn't go to LA and spend four months yeah, well, you've gone through that trip before. I've heard there where you've where you found out how expensive uh, Los Angeles recording studios could be for not great results. Is that true? Well, I I've never received <clears throat> whenever there's an album advance, that entire advance goes to the producer in the studio. Yeah, that's the way it's been for me. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're the ones that make the money. The so they literally, like before you make a record, they go, what's your budget? In other words, how much money have you got from the <laughs> record label? We'll take all of that. And that's how much your record's going to cost. So, I mean, the, the only thing that I, the only perk I got out of making records was I'd always rent a really nice house in LA. Like I've stayed <laughs> in some pretty amazing houses. Like, um, I've stayed in like Adam Levine's house, um, Orlando Bloom and Miranda Kerr's house. Uh, I stayed in the Legally Blonde house in Laurel Canyon. Always like 
But I didn't know they that they were their houses. I just this is record up. company set up or something. They must have like a a, a different type of um, Craigslist or whatever. I mean, because I was wondering, were these friend deals that you got, or was this some sort of you know? Um, I looked it up at Lost Feelers Sotheby's on their website. So whenever I I'd go, can you put us up for a month at this house? But all my demos and stuff, I'd you know I'd spend. X amount on that before I'd go to make the record and I'd never get reimbursed for that. But, um, but I'd always, I like, I loved the, the houses of LA was the highlight, you know, like there's nothing <laughs> like the big Does Adam Levine up until this interview know that you, you had stated his house for undetermined amount of time? Uh, or does, does even Adam Levine know that he rented his house out at all? <clears throat> He might not. Well, he might thing. just be like, sure. You see all these big famous celebrities, but they're not afraid to like make a buck and rent out their house for a month. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put it put it back in there. Yeah. In there. So, um I think my girlfriend bumped into him at uh the sushi place in Hollywood. I've forgotten and mentioned that we were renting his house, but it's the ultimate bachelor pad. It had like snakeskin wallpaper in the bedroom um and uh <clears throat> yeah looking back i mean because this is pre-instagram so i didn't really take many photos whilst i was in these houses but you should have taken some photos of that huh if i was an influencer these days i would have <clears throat> i would have taken you know it would have been a massive like draw card but um but i i guess like but it's that Maybe balance you have to have. I mean, don't you feel, I mean, because now that you're doing it on your own and you have uh, influence, you have a crowd, you have a following, you have a dedicated following that's followed you for, for many, many years, you have to put yourself out there a bit as an influencer. But at the same time, I mean, you live a very uh, sort of low, low-fi, low-maintenance kind of, you know, this is your life and you want to be in control that you don't want to be, you don't want to be a Kardashian. I can tell. Uh, I've been think. there. I've tried that approach where like, <clears throat> um, business manager, lawyer, manager, uh, five crew, everyone's taking a commission of everything. Everything's been done. And like, I wouldn't know. I, I literally wouldn't know my account number. Everyone has a gold American express. <laughs> every, every time you go out for dinner, you're like, Oh, thanks for that. And you're like, that's my gold American. That's on my account. That's actually me. I'm, I'm paying, paying for that. And I've gone along with that for about three years or five years at a time. And, uh, it was only when I worked with a certain producer and he got a phone call during the session and he was like, <clears throat> he, um, he was talking to the, it was the bank and he goes, yeah, that, that withdrawal is approved. I'm like, so you're saying every time something is withdrawn, you, they call you and you approve it. I'm like, that's a, yeah, that's a good system. Good idea. An eye on stuff, you know, cause, uh, I mean, with my setup, it was just let it rip, you know, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, I, I would do the, um, power of attorney. Well. I'm glad Adam, Adam Levine got a little piece of it. He, you know, he doesn't all that X factor money. I don't think he needs it from his own. So Silver Lake Sotheby's air is the new, is the sort of hip 
Airbnb. That's where you go if you want to go, you know, get in. Well, on- so the prices of, I looked it up on Airbnb and it's like, when I was renting houses there for a month, now it's like, it's ridiculous. Right. It's, it's like the prices have gone through the roof in, in LA. I'm not sure what's going on there, but, uh, but yeah, so I've tried that model of giving of complete power of attorney to someone else. They do everything and it's fine. But, um, right now I sort of, uh, I'm in the middle, you know, I kind of, I, I just keep an eye on things. I, I, I keep an eye on my, on like, yeah, you know, like I, you know, like I'll play a sold-out show at a theater that I think you play the animal to, you know, two thousand people, and then I'll play a solo gig on someone's back deck. Yeah, the next you're day. survivor. You you're, the, you're the perfect. You're the perfect guy to be in the trenches with us because you understand that a gig is it's a gig is a gig. Yeah, and you're going to put the same energy into it no matter what. Obviously, I think. Uh, you know, your your backyard gigs are probably a little bit higher paid than my backyard gigs, but I'll still do them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll, I'll one week be traveling down in a train to, to play a pub and, and play some of my own songs acoustically, but then the next week we might be go- going on tour with Motley Crue, for instance, yeah. and for, for two years. So it, it's kind of that balance. And that way you're like gig fit and you're ready and you know, you, ha- you haven't lost your calluses and you're like, you're ready. You're ready for action. You know, like that's people, people don't know, the industry doesn't understand that musicians have to play. Uh, that, well, I think they, they're going to in the next couple of years. I wonder if they're going to start taking advantages and using the pandemic as like sort of just another little way to like, oh, you because we know we they know we want to play gigs. Yeah. So are they going to like start screwing as well? You know what? It's not as much money as before. Cause you know, we're taking, we had to take on all these costs for those two years, not thinking that we had to take on the same cost, a way, way more costs without income during those same years. Yeah. 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 It's uh yeah. Someone made some comment. Like, I don't know if you heard about the tennis player Novak or something who was yeah, sent away. Said- Okay. Yeah, yeah. I heard that he he was uh, sent away from the actual tournament because he wasn't vaccinated, right? Mm. Okay. And they're saying that the te- tennis, you know, was which is you know quite elite elitist sport with you know Rolex and all these big brands, and they say tennis makes like X amount, and then music industry makes like fifty billion a year. Like music is a massive industry and creates a huge income yet like you're saying like they always want to put the squeeze on the musicians to like <laughs> get we the, are the worker done. bees <laughs> well, and, 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 be, and they know because we do really truly enjoy the work when we get to do it um i i do want to move on real quickly just some questions about uh your sound uh and the sound of the new album because it sounds a lot of like what you're doing with this new album has a, has a lot of that approach of what people are doing now with just releasing singles under the radar and sort of releasing your album rock out which is digital only release right now um are albums a thing of the past is it going to be could this be one of the last albums you make as opposed to just releasing singles whenever you feel like it in the future? Uh, well, that's what they say, though, that the release radar algorithm responds to because 
now, you know, I mean, we have an audience of 3 million followers and listeners on Spotify. So if you consistently release one song, the algorithm promotes it. So a consistent flow of traffic and, and sort of going to, to, to discover all the older stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think they are encouraging that that single release, um, which uh, I mean, it is nice to have a body of work, of course. Like, there's, it's nice to hear that like that chapter in your life and everything. But um, I mean, look back at the Beatles. Like, you know, they. I, I don't think like if one song went well. I th- I can't remember what their first single was, but George Martin. The producer of the Beatles was literally the head of the record label. Yeah, you know what I mean. He was the of head a comedy of the label. <laughs> yeah, no so he was like, "That's I can't remember what." The, please, please me. I can't remember what the first single it was like. You look at the timeline of the Beatles, and literally the next day, he's like, "This band's getting some traction. Make another single so we can cash in on their success." That was literally yeah. George Martin's language. And so they went in and made a nut. So you just like run off the back. If you got some traction of one thing, you drop another one, then you drop another one. Yeah. Yeah. The thing was with the Beatles, though, they started doing that with albums because I'm not sure if you saw that. Did you check out the the, the long Beatles special that was put out just recently? uh, Let it be. What? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Get, get it's it comes in three parts in like two and a half hours each. But what what made me realize how amazing I've always been a huge Beatle fan, but how creative they were. This this part of like they went into that studio to record this footage for this TV show that never happened. Right, the the get back yeah. sessions or whatever. And here they are in the studio. I think that was 1968, and um. The year before that, they're coming off of the White Album, which was a double album. So they're right yeah. in the middle of that. While they're in there recording, they're rehearsing songs that would eventually become Let It Be, which would uh, you know, come out the next year. But then later that same year, they're writing songs and recording songs for Abbey Road. Yeah. So it's like this, this is 67, 68, 69, or 70, it's done. But yeah. How, what a body of work right there. I love it. Yeah, the timeline is incredible. And when you see, like, the amount of mics they put on a drum kit, yeah, they put, like, two mics for the first four records, then three mics, like, for Sergeant Peppers, and then I think the most mics they ever put on, I can't even, I don't know what it was, like, maybe five or something. But, and they only, you know, they only, the Beatles did all that and they only ever use eight tracks at like the pinnacle of their career. But every single track was important, I feel. And that's, I mean, maybe that's what this goes back to the idea we're talking about being in a trio versus a four piece and stuff. When you have that guitar, bass and drums and you can feel every single instrument pronounced, maybe the guitar parts do punch out more when you're playing in that trio sort of lineup. I think this is like the best and worst time to be an artist in the history of time because uh, you've got so much much freedom and, you know, look at, you know, what you're doing, you know, like you're running your own show. 
and reaching an audience. Um, and you're taking, you're taking that opportunity, using that technology and, and building something. You're not waiting to get interviewed by Rolling Stone <laughs> or, no. or Mojo magazine. But I guess the, the hardest thing now is just, it's a competitive market, you know, like, I mean, there's like 50,000 releases a day or something on Spotify, 50,000 songs. <clears throat> so I guess it is more, that's the harder side, but it's never been a better time in, in the history of music to be an artist, you know, to. I think it's, I think it's a perfect time for you, especially with Wolf Mother, because you do have this body of work and you have a longevity because like I said, I was playing the record on a, you know, radio station, a college radio station, 2006. So, you know, yeah. you formed in 2004. So it's been around, but the sound of it, and this is what I want to get into. The sound has remained relatively consistent. That's because you guitarist, vocalist, uh, sort of, you know, heartbeat of the band is our has been consistent so uh the guitar sound in particular has a distinctive analog pedal board type of vibe but i've been fooled before so what is your philosophy on guitar amps and effects and does that method change when you're in the studio or on stage uh yeah i i've committed rock and roll sacrilege sacrilege <laughs> oh no you're gonna say the k word you're going to say the K word. I know it. You're going to say some sort of sampling amp, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I've been using a line six for four or five years and I was so nervous. Like, I mean, I, I remember like the first gig we did with that, I think it was guns and roses, uh, guns and roses support somewhere. And I was like, you cannot rock up and support guns and roses <clears throat> with a little, little digital amp simulator. That's just wrong. But like it turns out the crew love it. The front of house guy loves it. You can Sounds great push, through the house, right? Yeah, you can push the sound even louder. There's less uh, subs on the stage. There's less feedback. The floor toms aren't feet. It's a cleaner. I tell you what, every night I walk off the stage, someone goes, dude, you guys sound awesome. And I'm like, man, we're not using apps. Like, yeah. There's not an app on stage. Yeah, I had the editor of Kerrang! come up to me in Norway at a uh, festival there. He goes, man, your tone was insane. God, he's like going off. I'm like, yep, line six, bro. <laughs> and no, you, you say that's playing those songs since 2006, bro. That's been playing yeah. those songs and having the experience of doing it. But, I mean, there have to be some sort of effects pedals that you are lend themselves to being your go-to, or is it all within the pedal board of the Line 6? Uh, yeah, I use a POG, a Microsynth, a Tremolo, a AC Booster. Those are good go-tos. And and some kind of wah-wah, which I've forgotten. Uh, yeah, I, I use a bad horsey wah because I can't be bothered to hit the crybaby wah switch on or off. This is an automatic uh, wah. Yeah, yeah, so. that's a hassle, yeah. But <laughs> I need to overhaul my pedal board because, like, the last gig, like, the actual casing is, like, falling off. <laughs> uh, but I tried to make my pedal board as small as possible. Like, I've got the ply board, and I just, like, I sh shrunk it down to, like, I'm moving the wrong way, but like that size and everything is crammed in that I can just put it in my suitcase. Yeah. Um, yeah. You got, got four, 
You got you got three kids to and your wife to fit in the SUV. You don't have room for all these big amps and you know huge pedal boards. Exactly, and you know I, I'm from you know I'm from the school of like having a touring party of I can't remember you know, say eleven or twelve people, and you know for the first two or three years, I mean I'm touring at a loss, you know. Yeah, I would be like, oh, you know, and then we get in a computer game. I think it was Scarface, as that's funny that we mentioned High Your Own Supply, but um, Scarface, and that went straight to Interscope. You know, and what we got for a computer game, I think what people don't understand is that, you know, these movies and computer games and these big sinks like fuel bands to get well, I think I think that you guys yeah. had a big song on Guitar Hero back in the day as well, right? Yeah, that that was huge. Okay. Um, so I've seen how touring, like, you know, people go, you got to have this and you got to have that. And like, we're just spending our lives on the road. I'm, you know, I'm coming home to a rental house next to a service station. Like I'm, yeah. So I've just reevaluated. Of course, it's nice to have a bunch of roadies and stuff doing everything for you, but man, that's a, f- that's a flight. That's a hotel room. That's a wage. That's a per diem. Times you're thinking long game, man. I like it. I like that you're thinking <laughs> way long game and you're thinking like, you know what? I can make this, you know, I can live a comfortable lifestyle for a longer amount of time if I tune my own guitar. Yeah. And it just means that, you know, during loadout, someone's going to be really disappointed seeing me carrying a guitar and a pedal board. <laughs> Luckily, I'll just the blow them off the seat. They'll be like, oh, no, this guy's, yeah. But that, that's um, back in the day with the big old tour bus. I can tell you right there. I know those, those Australian tour buses. Um, yeah, yeah, that was before our first uh, first show in Germany. At, uh, I think, was it Outside Lands or something like that? Or, um, but yeah, it's it's all part of the rock and roll mystique, isn't it? You know, we, we're told that we need to do things a certain way to maintain our image. And then yeah. you're like, yeah, well, it kind of works. Yeah, I'm a believer in, you know, a good song. Yeah, I think people focus too much on, I mean, look, you, you play with Alice Cooper. I mean, he is the production master. He has... He's a believer. Bob Ezrin has produced some of the best songs of Alice Cooper in over the years. And 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 talk about bodies of work. We have a lot of songs to choose from every single tour. And yeah, like I say, I, I always thank the original OG band for writing those classic songs, those those first, you know, albums that they were making, all those massive hits that still allow us to tour today. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Uh, I I was more so thinking on the stage live, like the production you guys would be like, you've got to have, you know, the the full production is. But the thing is, the funny thing is with Alice, it's very much in your sort of line of thinking that we've always said that we're not that much more than a, than a uh, glorified high school production play. Whereas like, <laughs> you know, it's like there's like a J pop band that'll come out like with huge pyro and huge uh, video screens. Alice never used a single uh, 
pyrotechnic uh, explosion, fire, nothing until we did the Motley Crue tour in 2015. So all through the yeah. 70s and 80s, he never used like actual pyrotechnics. He used, uh, it was always lights and smokes and stuff like that. So um, he's he's always been a parkan type of guy. So it's always been a little bit more on that lo-fi vibe. But yeah. again, he's he, talk about the long game, the longevity game. He's been able to do it and he's done it for many, many years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh... I saw, yeah, I saw Gene Simmons as well, like do his solo tour in Australia. And he was like, I think his policy was like, no, like all local crew. So he would just rock up and it'd be like the in-house lighting guy, in-house sound guy. Yeah. Backline, you know, SVTs, Marshalls and straightforward rock and roll. He travels and, with his band in the van. Yeah. No, and No uh, security. No when he does his solo stuff. Far out. That's awesome. You, you, you know more about it. That's good to hear. Well, because um, I know the backup band, it's, it's the guys that, that actually now are the backup band for Ace Freely. Uh, you know, Ryan Cook and, 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 and Phil and uh, fucking, now I'm going to get killed because I don't know all three of their names. Um, yeah. But the guy that hates Neil Giraldo. And <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, um, I, I, you know, they're great guys, great band. And yeah, Gene's, Apparently, when Gene's doing solo stuff, he's in Jeremy, Jeremy Asbrook, of course. Um, but uh, Gene's one of the nicest guys in the world. You've met him before many times. I, I've, I've yeah. talked to him a few times. And, and he can be down to earth, but then he can also be Gene Simmons when he wants to be. Yeah, in a sort of amicable way, I guess. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> Got something to say. Uh, and uh, I thought his set list was really good, too. Like, it, and his voice holds up and he, he's got a, just a great personality, like his stage banter. And, you know, I think without all the production, it gave him a bit of space just to be himself. And I've seen Kiss with all the production. I've seen him without it. And, man. You enjoyed that show more. I, dare I say I found it more entertaining. I saw the same show. I saw the same show up here in Stockholm. It was at a place called Grunalund, which is a little amusement park, you know. I played uh, there. You played Grunalund. It's a, it's an amazing outdoor yeah. gig, right? You see the you see the um roller coasters and stuff like that going on yeah. while you see it. But but when I saw them play, it was like, yeah, what you realize is that you go especially another situation that happened just recently with this band that up here in Sweden that we put together, we did a car, a Eric Carr tribute. And one of the songs that we put on it was lover all I can off of the dress to kill record. Yeah. And you don't realize just how great a song, how many great songs those guys wrote on those early albums. And you listen to the musicianship and you go, shit, Gene yeah. Simmons is a bass player man he's a great bass player yeah and it's like Ow. the production sort of overshadowed the songs and the music and everything that the, they were yeah and then when you just get rid of all that production you're like it's great great rock and roll you know it's hit after hit after hit what do you feel that Wolf Mother has as far as, as a live stage show production? Have you ever gone for the full on stage production or where do you see it going from here on out? Is it always, is it just going to be this you and your gooseneck, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> um, the gooseneck. 
That's the music, man. It's the trademark. Title. <laughs> <laughs> Sponsored. Yeah, no, like that. Um, well, uh, yeah, but, you know, we just did a tour of Australia. Yep. And uh, I booked in the Tivoli, the Anmore, and the Forum, and we sold it all out. And it's like you know, two thousand capacity, fifteen hundred to two thousand capacity. And before, it's like, should you do production? Should you get like you know, this, that, the other? And I'm like, I, I saw something of the Stones that did a random show at the Anmore. And there was like no production and it's just them playing, you know, having fun, just playing. And I was like, there is something about, I love seeing, do I really have to see all the bells and whistles on a stage as a punter to feel like I got my money's worth and I had a good time. There's something for me. I like just seeing when I see a band rock up with nothing, I'm kind of find it, as amusing as a band with loads of production. I mean, if you, if you were like, <clears throat> if you were you too, I guess you've set yourself up to be every tour has to have do itself. a yeah. million things hanging off the roof and cages and some. They even, but they even scaled down a little bit from zoo, zoo TV uh-huh. and Zuropa and all that, all those tours. I remember. Yeah. I do remember there was some sort of day where, how can we outdo each other or, or the Tommy Lee drum solo? How can it get even bigger and bigger and bigger? But maybe yeah. there is something to be said about sort of scaling it back right now and just being a fan of the, of the songs. Well, it's like grunge dare I say, you know, just wearing a flannel and, no production and <clears throat> that became, <clears throat> sorry, it's not COVID. It's okay. Um, yeah, that became a thing. Yeah. So I think it is a stage and it's like production on a record. You know, sometimes no production is more powerful. Like you know, Rick Rubin, Johnny Cash, two microphones or the Beatles, a couple of microphones, no production. Well, yeah. So it's true. Uh, any Rick Rubin production, really. I, I do like his his rawness, and he actually was one of the producers that was up to to produce that uh, second Snake Pit record that I told you when I was playing with Slash. Because we do yeah. have a bit of, of a common history, uh, although different eras and different years. Uh, you sang on the first single of uh, Slash's solo album, and yeah. I want to go on record saying that. When I first joined up with Slash and we uh, were putting together Snake Pit and he had had Johnny Grapark on bass and we were looking for a singer and we couldn't find a singer. We were auditioning singers all over. Um, one of my suggestions to him was, like I said, Slash, I mean, you know everybody in town. You know every single rock and roller, you know, in history. Everybody loves you. Why don't you get a different singer for each song? And we'll just uh-huh. put an album out with that. And he's yeah. like, no, 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 I want to, I want to have a, a proper lead singer, you know. And I said, and yeah. I, I said okay, okay, no problem. We, we'll find it when we eventually found Rod Jackson. But he definitely kept the idea in the back of his head, and I was happy to see that it, it, um, you know, it came to fruition with you because you played by the sword. It was the first official single from the Slash album. Um, you were on vocals. It was released in 2010. Um, 
The cover was drawn by Ralph Stedman. I don't know if you have a beef with him either, but uh, he's oh, not. No, no. I don't have a beef with, with that. I'm, just saying I don't, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. There's no beef at all. Um, but but what I did notice about because I watched the video as well when we were uh, when we were uh, doing the research for this uh, podcast, and it had a bunch of people that I know some uh, in the trenches alumni who've been on the basis. Todd Kearns, who's been on the podcast as well, yeah. he now plays in Slash's solo band. Uh, Bobby Schneck was the guitar player in that video, as well as Brent Woods on the drums. Um, the video itself had a Road Warrior type of steampunk vibe, with and it almost had a little bit of an Australian type of road warrior vibe. Would that have anything to do with your, your influence on this song or how did that all come about? Uh, uh, yeah. As for my influence on the song and how it came about, well, what happened was slash sent me, uh, I think two demos of, of the riff of, of various riffs. And I chose that riff and it's funny. Yeah. I was staying at Adam Levine's house <laughs> at the time. And, you should uh, have seen that snakeskin photo. <laughs> yeah. And he had a guitar hanging up in the kitchen and I just sort of picked it up, had the song on the laptop. And I think I just, you know, when you write, talk about writing songs and what you did and what you didn't, I, I think, I think I wrote the chorus or something, but then I'm like, yeah, I think I wrote that bit, but <laughs> I don't even know what it, you definitely were in the video because I because I saw that and uh, how yeah. was that experience making that? Uh, I tell you what, I went to the Golden Gods the night before with Slash, Lemmy, Dave Grohl, and Dave. That Grohl. was the night before you shot that video. Yeah, he Dave Grohl was like, "Hey, come sit sit here, man." And he had a bottle of scotch to himself. And he's just like Shh, topping it up. Thrown into the deep end. And I think I, you know, that next day, I could barely move. I was so hungover through that whole film clip. My head was freaking The same you did not introduce yourself to Alice Cooper, but uh, hopefully someday you will soon. Yeah, and Alice, yeah, he was right in front of me. And, um, yeah, Lemmy was in the corner of the room reading a book. (laughs) <laughs> the golden god he doesn't need to be there he's at the golden god. he's gonna be in the corner of the room playing you know uh video poker or pachinko at the rainbow where he's gonna be reading a book i love it yeah. <laughs> yeah. well here's the thing did you feel that you know doing that with slash and then all of a sudden being thrown in with those guys did did that help hurt hinder in terms of wolf mother's uh popularity at that time uh well it was all just game on i think at that point it was just just yeah i the biggest challenge for me was just keeping up the schedule you know every everywhere is just sold out shows europe america australia everywhere just tour 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 Uh it was um building the base that you have now. Yeah. I, yeah, I, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I did cancel one tour around that time. I think I did possibly overdo it. I couldn't keep up with it, but, um, I learned my lesson now. So, (laughs) 
I mean, uh, no, I, sometimes you have to go through shows that do that to you. I've had a few shows. I've never uh, done a tour where I've, I've had to not do the tour because of it. But definite, you know, you learn your lessons through those sort of, you know, I think I can handle it. I think I can handle it. But at a certain at a certain point, maybe it's better to go home before the last call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you, if you feel like your your nerves can't handle it, um, you don't want to jeopardize the whole thing. Just best to maybe wait till you're ready. But uh, yeah, but but now uh, you know I, I I think I prepare for tours better now. You know, more rehearsals and and you know just looking after yourself and kind of get, getting into the right headspace. I think. But when you're younger, you just, you know, I, I think I, I left my, you know, I don't know what you're, you're like with your, your suitcase or whatever, but most of the time it's just sitting in the corner of the room and it hasn't been unpacked. And, it, you know, you just think, should I take that stuff out of there or just leave it in there? No, it's going to be and, two, two and a half weeks between tours is, or is, is not enough. It's like two or three weeks in between a tour doesn't justify taking the, the uh, for me, doesn't just, like I live in an apartment, doesn't justify taking the uh, bag all the way up to the top of the attic in the storage unit at our building and then yeah. coming back down. So, yeah, it, it stays there for that those weeks. Yeah. yeah, it stays in the corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And sometimes the guitar and the pedal board's still in the car. And I open it up and like you get a gig. Like, I didn't even take it out of the car because you come back from the airport and you just, you know, think I'll come back and get that. And then, so, so you were talking about your line six because we all have pedal paper. Oh, because I'm in the studio. This is my pedal. Thing. I'm using the Hughes and Kentner one these days. Oh, wow. The Black Spirit solid. 200. Yeah, it's got, yeah. it's got all the things that you, it's got all the effects in it. It's got all the, um, it's got all the uh, sounds in it as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very much like, it's, isn't the line six, it's called something, the. Helix. Helix, right. Isn't yeah. that the system? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing is, what gave me the confidence to do that too, was like, I'd be making a record <clears throat> and the producer would use a line six helix, like not even a new one, like, like an old rack old. plastic one from the nineties. And he'd do the bass for the whole record through one of those. Well, yeah, it's like, it was like those sans amps that, that people like still to this day look for, for, to get a distorted bass sound. It's like, if you can find, if you can find one from somewhere in the nineties, it was made a sans amp. And I remember just yeah. getting the best bass tone out of it of all time. Yeah. And like, you know, when you see these big festivals, like we play this festival, I think somewhere in Philadelphia or something, and there's. 10 semi trailers at the back it's pouring down rain it's in like an, an amphitheater or something all these back lines that you know all these roadies are setting up the back line they got the drum kits and the bass amps and you, you look at it you look at 10 of them in a row and you go you guys are all using the same stuff yeah <laughs> you want to you're saying just have one co-op system is that what you're saying yeah just yeah, put the back line on the stage. Just looks good, I mean, and everybody shoot. Yeah, but I know you know what? Is, 
yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm a I'm a minimalist. I think when it comes to to gear, I feel like the less gear I have, the clearer I can think. You know, that it's like better songs come to me if the room is empty and there's a couple of mics and it's like something good's going to happen. But when there's clutter and too many options, I feel like I'm going to lose time to just the gear will will win and the creativity will suffer. That's why I've always been scared of those types of uh, pedals because you can go down that rabbit hole. That's why my entire, you know, most of my musical career has been a JCM 800 Marshall that doesn't have very many options. You know, maybe I'll put a tuner and a, and a wah-wah pedal in between it, maybe. But, you know, for the most part, try and get just an amp sound with one sound. But then, you know, now I, I kind of use the technology kind of like we're doing with the podcast. I use the technology for what it is. And I only have out of all those millions of sounds that I can get, I literally only have two sounds that I use out of that. Yeah. 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 And it's like, you know, I used to always think I had to have like humbuckers and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, certain things to get like the black Sabbath sound. And then I look at, Tony Iommi just apparently just used P90s, you know, like one P90. So, I mean. But he was, he was cranking his amps though. He was fucking making yeah, his amps loud. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of these big sounds are on pretty like basic equipment. Are you happy with all the sounds that you got out of, out of the last album? And are you, you know, are you looking to, you know, forward to touring both you know songs off of rock out and as well as rock and roll baby in the coming months i'm happy with the sound of midnight train yeah i thought well i was using the micro synth i've listened to a lot of you know jack white's song um i forgot what it's called <laughs> it's all right we, we, you know what we'll, we'll figure it out <laughs> and i heard he he had the micro synth and he um, just overdubbed the micro synth to make it sound really fat. And I thought, I've noticed a lot of these new bands. Uh, what's another one? I forgot the name of that. The, the one with the bass. You, uh, Death from Above? Or, or no, they're, they're Canada, but I know it's the band that you're talking about. Just bass and drums that are, that are from um, the UK. Australian guy, yeah, yeah. Australian guy, okay. So a lot of them are doing this kind of pog micro synth riff driven stuff. So I figured I could give that a go. So with Midnight Train, that's what I've done. You know, with that one, uh, I'm happy with the sound of that. But I, I'm finding a lot of rock and roll production these days is, I mean, do you find it's just getting bigger, like? Like you used to have like say Lincoln Park and Limp Biscuit, and then you'd have the Strokes and uh, opposite low five versus this over overproduction. I feel you yeah, know? you'd have like the indie kind of cool bands, and you'd have the big commercial ro- who are gonna like the commercial rock guys are just gonna get the biggest production, big you know, aggressive sounds, and the indie guys are gonna have a sort of low five cool thing happening but now the lo-fi cool bands and the like 
like you could listen to Jack White and it sounds just like Linkin Park. You think the sound is a little bit heavier? <clears throat> like the production is just as aggressive and it's mastered that loud. Or what's the other band? Um, so I think the the notion of do I like the sound of, the, of what I'm doing? Um, I'm gradually coming around to like just going for the big commercial rocks. <laughs> yeah, just to compete on that level because I think that's the indie rock thing has been squashed um, to an extent. But I mean, because like I, I want to write the kind of songs that like a band can play down at, they can cover it, you know, across the road tonight on a Friday night and people will get into it, you know. I don't want to do like indie rock kind of swirly effects and all that kind of stuff that you need to be like, you know, a producer to make on, you know, and spend a year on a laptop tweaking effects to create, you know. I want to do something you can play to a band and go, this is how it goes. All right, this is going to work. Play it tonight, you know. Yeah, all right. I like the attitude, and hopefully they will play because if they are playing it, that means that a lot of people are hearing it, and that means that you're touring in your SUV for years and years to come, while the band rides alongside or probably up a little bit ahead in the in the tour bus. In the bus, getting wasted while I'm sitting in the back with the family. Don't worry, you're paying for it all on the Amex Gold. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting ripped off. They're having all the fun, and I'm. Wait a second. You got the family, you got the songs, you got the tunes, and you've got the longevity. You also have the social media, uh, Andrew. Can you tell folks uh, the best way to get in touch when if they want to check out uh, the new album as Rock Out as well as Rock and Roll Baby and all of Wolf Mother? What's the best way to get in touch? Uh, yeah, well, we've. I think we have the record on, on our website, wolfmother.com. We, you can download... Uh, a high quality version there. I think a WAV file, or you can go to our Spotify, iTunes. It's all there. Stream on there. Um, that's the that's the main thing. I mean, I think we got a, an, a new crowns on uh, Bandcamp. If you know, if you're a music purist, I still got it. I still got my account on Bandcamp, no doubt. Yeah. Because I think some people who wanted a CD or they want that high-res audio Bandcamp, you can download a, a high-res file. Super high-res and stuff. Yeah, okay. which the purists want. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, otherwise it's just iTunes and Spotify and wolfmother.com. And, of course, if anybody wants to go see you uh, dancing and singing along to Glenn Frey songs, they can find you on Instagram as well. Um, I just which I did that actually. Oh, <laughs> come on. The heat was on. <laughs> he was on. I, well, I'm glad I was able to watch it before, uh, before it got deleted. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll work on the next one now. Well, I appreciate you taking the time with us today, Andrew. Um, thanks a lot for hanging. Hopefully our paths will cross when, yeah. um, you know, when Alice is on the road and, uh, Wolf Mother is on the road. You know, oddly enough, there's a very cool band out of the UK that I like called Wolf Alice. So maybe yeah. in a weird way, the three of our bands can sort of connect in some way. I'm not sure if you've ever done shows with Wolf Alice. Yeah, 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 Wolf Alice. Yeah, uh, 
I think I saw them at Splendor in the Grass a, a few years back. But yeah, that uh, yeah, it's good to see all the. Well, hey man. <laughs> hey, take care of yourself. Uh, take care of the family. Hunker down. Um, hopefully, uh, you know Australia does not become a con- entire military state, and uh, <laughs> we will. We won't be uh, actually living the real life road warrior uh, all that soon. We have some tours to go. And um, thanks again, Andrew. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. Um, Yeah, we'll see you over in Stockholm, hopefully. Is it it the Tivoli? Uh, It's actually Grunelund, but uh, Tivoli is, yeah, that's the name of the, that's actually the name of the venue. Tivoli is the indoor one. Yeah. Yeah. The indoor one. Hotel. I'll be there if, uh, or, or I'll see you in Brisbane or one or the other. All right. So until next time, everybody, we'll see you next time in the trenches. I'm Ryan Roxy, Andrew Stockwell. Thanks a lot. See you, man. Enjoy the ride. In the trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello. Moby, give him his guitars back.